When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's up and welcome to another episode of the Grind Line podcast. You're listening to episode 211. I am your host, Greg. I am here tonight with Ryan. Tyler will be joining us shortly, but we have a guest on tonight. It is Gio Palermo, also known as Lego Rocks 99 on YouTube. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. Firstly, I just wanted to say thank you to each of you guys, Greg, Ryan, and the inevitable Tyler for having me on your show here today. Um, it's always a blast talking about Red Wing stuff. I do a lot of conversations about them on my YouTube channel as well as um, Canucks and Canadians related things. But yeah, I've been doing well today watching this Canucks and Devils game in the background and uh, also popping into that Islanders game, seeing how my boy Bo is doing. That's been a little disappointing so far, but uh, it's only the second period. So we'll see. Mild heartbreak on your end there. Um, You know what? I'll say this. Or was it time? It was time, in my opinion, at least it was time. I know there's a lot of like my own personal friends in my circle and other people on Canucks Twitter that were like devastated about it. But yeah, I mean, trading away our captains never, um, never easy. But in my opinion, it was it was time. I mean, we can start with Bo. That's a good place to start. He did get signed uh, too by the Islanders, got extended by Lou, who immediately regretted his decision, apparently <laughs> on national television. But mm -hmm. I think it, by you saying it's time now, I get it like Bo, he's he's a very good center. And I think in Detroit, he would have been a great two C behind Larkin. I'm surprised what they did in the island uh, on the island by moving Barzal over and putting Bo as the top line center and mm -hmm. just letting Barzal play wing because Barzal is generally pretty good defensively. And he and Bo is generally not as good defensively as Barzal. But we'll see what happens there. It frees up Barzal to kind of be more offensive like he normally is. But do you just think maybe maybe Bo is a bit trapped behind like Pedersen? In a way, I could understand um, that POV because for most of Bo's career in Vancouver, he was after the Sedins ended up retiring, the de facto number one guy. And there hadn't really been anybody that was close to Bo's level of talent up until Petey and Miller came onto the team roughly around the same time ish. And at that point, they both overtook Bo, and that's sort of where you had this controversy of, okay, you got three, maybe top six caliber centers, who's going to get third line minutes? Then you had this power play situation that started out last year, where Bo just started scoring goals and goals and goals, 
which priced him out of Vancouver, put him in a position where now he's able to get that money with New York. And all of a sudden, conversations surrounding Detroit. I mean, I'd seen a lot of uh, Red Wings fans popping up on my timeline saying, hey, this return for Bo. Kind of happy Iserman didn't do something in that um, territory for Vancouver. And then this extension with Bo. Okay, Larkin's, in my opinion at least, a bit better than Bo. So if Bo's making 8.5 by 8, What's Larkin going to get, you know? So definitely uh, intriguing to see there. It's the world's oldest question, apparently, right now. Uh -huh. One that has caused a lot of uh, a lot of fire over on every social media platform. Um, a lot of really, really, really bad opinions come out when people start talking about contract negotiations. Um, but I, like I said, I think Bo's a great player. And I do think he will do well in the island. But do you think this season for him was maybe an outlier? Because, I mean, this by far has been his most productive season of his career. In my opinion, I would say yes. And it's unfortunate that that's the case, because I really do think that Bo, like, he's a valuable player, as you had said, like, legit top six center. He can win a lot of face-offs. Not the best defensively. I think he kind of got sort of put in a box because he played on the Canucks' first penalty kill, and he can win face-offs. People thought, oh, he's a good defensive center because he can win face-offs and do all this. But... Realistically, he's a lot more of a north-south sniper that really found his scoring touch the past year and a bit here, and who just became an absolutely lethal power play, tap-in, rebound, sort of in-the-slot type of sniping player. So it's definitely um, intriguing to see where that's going to go in New York, because New York's power play is a lot worse than Vancouver's, but at the end of the day, you know... As a Canucks fan, I can say that I'm happy for Bo for getting that money. It's just I'm kind of happy that wasn't Jim Rutherford and Alvin that gave it to him. Do you think that's the obsession, though, with scoring? Like, you got a guy that's, like you mentioned, year and a half. I mean, he's put up decent goal numbers, and but he's already about to surpass his career best in points. And he's one goal away from passing his career best in goals. So, I mean, do you think that's just the obsession with a guy that can score rather than play a full game like, say, a Larkin? I would agree with that point for sure. And the reason I say that is because, especially in this situation, Bo Horvat, with all the power play goals and everything that he had scored, if you ask Canucks fans who's the prime player on the power play, you'd get pretty much three main answers. It's Hughes, it's Miller, and it's Petey. These three are the guys that rotate the puck on the top of the umbrella around that perimeter near the blue line. And it's always Bo who gets that last pass. He's the guy who gets the puck in the middle. He shoots it and he scores. Or Hughes takes a shot and Bo's there for the rebound. Canucks power play movement has been dominated by mostly these three guys. And Bo just happens to be on the receiving end, who is always the last one at the end of the play who puts the puck in. And on the score sheet, it looks great. I mean, 31 goals and 40-something games played on pace for 50 this season. But realistically, I mean... I'm not too sure how sustainable of a formula that is for a guy who's going from a team that does not have Miller, Hughes, and Petey on their power play. Like, admittedly, the Islanders' power play is a lot weaker than Vancouver's, and they have a really good passer in Barzal, but I just don't see Dobson and Bailey being able to move the puck and create space for Bo in the same way that these other guys do. Obviously, like, I hope I'm proven wrong. Like, I'd love for Bo to get, like, 35 goals every single season and make that contract worth it, especially for the Islanders fans that want to see this be you know, a prime contributor and in the for long Lou. term. Yeah, for sure. For <laughs> Lou. So, yeah, I mean, tough season for a guy that was so talented on the score sheet, but wanted to stay in Vancouver or reportedly wanted to stay in Vancouver. 
And a lot of Canucks fans have to kind of just bite the bullet there and say, okay, well, we'll settle with Ratu Bavilia in that first instead. I mean, right now he's slotted on the first unit with Barzell and Lee on his wing. And then they've got Nelson and Dobson at the point. Nelson. What I heard today on NHL Network is they're going to use Horvat, it sounds like, in that bumper role again. So Mm -hmm. he's going to be still living in that same area, most likely, with I mean, Lee, Barzell, Nelson, and Dobson around you. You're not too bad, to be honest with you. So if he can maintain any sort of pace to what he's at right now, I think long term, I mean, can that be maintained? We'll see. But this season, for sure, it looks like it potentially keep going in that in that sense and you got to remember the past few seasons or at least a pretty good stretch the islanders have run a system that kind of stifled offense which is Mm -hmm. what matt barzal's brought it up a few times is that they play they've played a system that doesn't kind of let them shoot when they want to shoot and it's it's a little more rigid and structured so I'm, i'm also wondering though that putting bow in the middle may unlock a little bit more of barzal and let him score more so they might find a formula there that works um, but on another guy that uh, you have connections to that is probably going to get shopped, uh, shipped off before the trade deadline is Brock Besser. Mm-hmm. So Brock Besser, I think, is another one that um, has been brought up in Red Wings conversations before. Maybe a guy that just it's not a fit anymore. And he he's proven he has offensive talent and he's still shown good offensive talent, even though he's had down seasons in the past. But I think it's a guy that you could you could send him to somewhere like Detroit and get him a fresh start. And maybe he he bumps those numbers back up. But I don't think I think, again, he's another guy that maybe it's time for them to just kind of start with a fresh slate. And and Brock's one of the leftovers. Yeah, I mean, Brock has always been the biggest what if in Canucks lore the past few years, because. I think a lot of people know, but in Brock's rookie season, he was on pace to getting like 35 goals and 70 points or whatever, until Cal Clutterbuck reverse hit him into the open bench and sidelined him for the rest of the year. Brock never really got his speed back after that. His wrist had a whole bunch of surgeries and problems with it over the next few years, and he's never really been that same American sniper that we all saw him as in his rookie year. But as you had said, despite the fact that Brock... I. I kind of feel like he gets like potentially an unwarranted amount of hate from the Canucks fan base that sees his rookie numbers and his highlights from that year and say, oh, why are you not as good anymore? But he is still quietly one of the more potent offensive guys on this team. He's a lot better playmaker now than he had been before. He's a lot better on the boards now than he had been before. Unfortunately, as I said, his speed hasn't caught up to what he has done in the past. But this is a player who, with all the expectations and the pressure and All the stuff that he said himself about how he feels he's going to score 30 goals this year only for him to be on pace for only like 19. I feel like there would be an appropriate time frame in today's market to potentially see a fit somewhere else if anything is um, on the table there. Yeah, to your playmaking point, he is two assists away of tying his assists for last season at 23 and 71. He's got 21 assists in 41 games right now. And he's only 15 points away from hitting the 46 he hit in 71 last season. So he's having an improved year. I mean, his plus minus is down, but I don't like looking at plus minus because when the team is bad, so is the plus minus normally for everyone. But his time on ice is also down about two minutes a night. So with less ice time, he is actually on pace to beat last season's totals, not in goals, maybe because he had 23, but definitely in assists. 
he should far surpass his last season total. So, I mean, maybe he, a lot of times they say players who know they're on their way out or who are playing in a contract year, one of those two, they push a little harder because they either want a bigger return or they want more interest or they want a higher paycheck. So that is that could be a situation there. And I think, I mean, right now the Wings, if you're going to put Besser in a top six role, and if the Verona stuff is true, which we'll talk about a little later, you're going to be looking for kind of a fill-in for that. And and I think someone like Besser could help because, again, it could be a change of scenery thing too, which is, I think, what Philip Zadina has needed forever unless he can turn it around. So we'll see what happens there too. Yeah, I mean, and for Brock, I think, one of the bigger things that comes up with Canucks conversations, because if you read Canucks Twitter, I don't know if you guys spend too much time in those treacheries, but if you read a lot of Canucks Twitter, you'll probably think that Brock Bester's having a bad year, really bad year, based off of how Canucks fans talk about him. But admittedly, his numbers are pretty okay. It's just that contract, six point whatever it is, 6.6, .6, I believe. It's quite an overpayment for a guy who hasn't shown off too well in the season after signing the contract. So maybe it is that change of scenery that really does need to manifest itself to get him going again. Who knows? So I was looking at his individual stats, just his Corsi four. Like he said, let me go back to him real quick. He has had year over year the lowest Corsi four percentage he's had since he came in the league was a fifty-five-five. Wow! And this year he's got mm -hmm. a fifty-six-seven through forty-one games. Like he's. Seems like when he's out there, I mean, I just check he's running what third line primarily, Gio? Is that what typically um, rough least? like top six ish? Second, okay, power, second power play sometimes, yeah. He doesn't get first power play time, so really wow. So, I mean, it's for a guy that's fringe middle six, or I shouldn't say fringe, but middle six typically, he's out there helping drive play. It's just not necessarily happening, and but you could also attribute that to what Vancouver has done as a whole this season and the fact that they're now looking for a potential yard sale that could speak to that. So, I mean, I've kind of wanted the the wings to go after Besser and do the old infamous RFA tag, but it's never going to ha never happens for whatever reason. So franchise, not franchise tag, that's football. Get out of football, Ryan. Sorry, <laughs> but you see what, I, you know, what I'm getting towards like he's, he'd be a great, a, a righty, right. You're winger. talking about offer sheet. Offer sheet, thank you. He'd be, you could argue, a younger version of Perron if you brought him in under, under his wing for a year or two, get him just completely reset. Be fantastic. What happened? I don't know. Yeah, I could see that. I could see it happening, but again, I didn't see Bo going to the island. But what so would be the cost? That's another thing is what, yeah. what the cost yeah. would be. So. Does his contract, because you mentioned it's a 6.65, I think is what I just saw on cap. Really. Yeah. Like a team like Detroit. Could make that happen if it's a, if it's a, it could be a true hockey trade. So that's where if you say as Adina goes back, now you're still only leveling out at what five million is your your break even point roughly. Does Vancouver throw a pick and Tyler Bertuzzi goes back because Vancouver says they're not rebuilding? They said they are retooling. <laughs> yeah, they say they're not rebuilding though. Everything's on the table except for apparently Elias Patterson. So mm -hmm. they're not rebuilding. But if a Bertuzzi could go back and you could take a Besser and a pick then that's, I mean, that would make sense in some world. Do you even have to worry about getting a pick back in that scenario, though? Because Bert's on an expiring contract. And unless you've got guaranteed, like it almost would end up being maybe Detroit having to throw in like a third or something like that to maybe sweeten the deal. Eh, maybe not. Actually, that could almost be a true hockey trade right there. 
You know, it's really interesting. Um, you guys are talking about all this stuff with like Bertuzzi and everything. In my opinion, if the Canucks can get anything of like actual value beyond the third round, I'm kind of howling at the moon over there because I think it was, I'm not sure if it was Peñota or it might've been Dolly. Well, it was somebody on um, Twitter the other day talked about how Besser's apparent trade value is so low, quote unquote, that the Canucks might not even be able to get more than just a third for him. One of the insiders went out there and said that apparently that's the cost for a 6.6 AAV deal, bringing down a guy whose expectations are, let's just say, a lot higher than what he's done the past little while. So I don't know. It's an interesting conversation for sure. That'd be that'd be wild if that's all you got for mm-hmm. a guy getting 6.6 million, you only got a third, maybe a fourth round pick. Yeah, the, but you got to remember cap right now is tight and it's only going up by a million dollars in the offseason. Yeah, he'd have to be like one of those three team deal type trades for that, that one to work. And yeah. that's what we talked about with even Burt trying to trade that contract off if that would, came to it. Well, I know a contract we are definitely not trading off. And if someone is telling me that we're going to trade this contract off one more time, and that is Dylan Larkin and Dylan <laughs> Larkin, it just everyone now and forever in the media was so nice. They didn't ask him about his contract forever and ever. And now it seems like every interview he does, someone asks about it ever since biz opened his mouth. So uh, Dylan Larkin was what I will call him the MVP of the All-Star game because he probably should have been without the Florida bias. Five goals, one assist, six points through two games, a hat trick in game two. The only player on the ice to back check. Like it oh, was beautiful beat me to it. It was beautiful what Dylan Larkin was doing out there. Granted, the goalies don't try very hard because <laughs> yeah, they, they don't want to. Sure. They, they don't want to pull a groin there. Yeah, they were starting to get into it, though, as I, as it went on in each game that the goalie, every, the intensity in every game, I felt like got more and more, especially in the second yeah. period. Of, they didn't want to be hole. embarrassed. Yeah. Is Hellebuck's five hole really that bad? Uh, that was interesting. <laughs> Two five hole, almost identical five hole shots on Hellebuck. But Larkin looked I was more great. worried about if he had a cup on. <laughs> Larkin looked great. And uh, he riled up Leafs. Twitter by saying something about uh, it was fun being out there with Mitch Marner. So then Leafs Twitter went out there and said they they need to get Dylan Larkin. And now oh. apparently every single fan base wants Dylan Larkin because Boston's talking about getting him. That's a thing. Apparently last season, Boston had talked, uh, had tried seeing what they would want for Dylan Larkin. And that's coming back around now. So every single fan base, I know Columbus has talked about it. I know that the Flames fan base has talked about it. Everyone now is talking about bringing Dylan Larkin in, but I still don't think he's going anywhere. Elliot Friedman today on 32 Thoughts, uh, to paraphrase him because I didn't want to do a 12 tweet thread. Uh, he says he truly believes Larkin wants to be in Detroit and is coming to the realization that to stay in Detroit, he'll have to take less than others would give him on the open market. He could easily make more AAV outside of Detroit, but still Larkin would rather play for Detroit than any other team in the league. He goes on to say that the points don't matter. The market dictates the price. There is value in both offense and defense in his strong two-way game gives Detroit the chance to win. And I agree with all the points. And the one I agree with, I mean, I'll agree with it. I think he needs to take a little cut to stay in Detroit just because that's why Iserman runs his team. Mm-hmm. But he's not going to take seven and a half million. He's not going to take eight million. And I think with Bose, eight by 8.5, if Larkin came in at 8.75 for eight years, I think that's a deal right there because that 8.5, and even Max Baltman said, because Larkin's a better player, you would think that at, at that point, he's then worth that nine if Bo got that 8.5. So 
So I think if they come in at an 8.75, I think that's a deal for both parties. Yeah, that's very fair. I mean, I'll ask you guys this because I hadn't been um, too caught up on a lot of the conversations there. Was there any, I know Iserman is a vault, but has there any been, has there been any sort of indication as to what the Red Wings ceiling is in that respect? Like maybe 8.2 or an 8.5 or an 8 flat? The rumor that came out was Iserman's line, quote unquote, mm-hmm. was eight. Or Larkin's mm-hmm. line, or I shouldn't say that that was the line. Iserman and Camp apparently were at eight million. Larkin was at nine. Now, as far as a line being drawn in the sand, people are saying that that the rumor, again, I'm going to keep using air quotes, even though you can't see that on a podcast, um, is that. You can if you're I, watching us on YouTube. Touche. The the rumor is that Eiserman's drawn the line, but we don't know what that line is at. Is it eight point two? Is it eight four? We don't. Was it eight million? Don't know. I mean, Horvat, I think, is one hundred percent going to drive this deal because you can argue the skill offensively all day if you want to. I don't really care how which way you want to take it. Larkin's a playmaker through and through. Horvat's a goal scorer. Okay, it's a wash if you want to call it that. But defensively is where again Larkin elevates to that next level of a full two-way center where he can be that fringe one, two on a top tier team. And he can, he can fill in for a team like I hate it because they're talking about the trade scenarios today on NHL network as well, as well, how he'd be a quote unquote, great fit in Colorado. You put him in that top six and you're just like, Oh my God, this could, he his the potential could be unlocked to like to no end. So that's where you're like, what is that value actually at? And Greg, I think that's the most appropriate would be eight, seven, five ish. I know before the season started, I think we all predicted between like nine, one and nine, four, just to, because we we're hoping for the fact that he'd be at a point per game. He's just south of that right now. I partly blame that he wasn't fully healthy, but at the same time, they just have struggled more than I think we anticipated. And they've lost top six wingers for a majority of the season. Injuries haven't helped them. So I don't know. I mean, it's all subjective at this point. And people are just like, oh, he shouldn't be getting paid that much. I'm like, well, who else are you going to pay? I'm not saying that you need to just go out and throw money at somebody. It'd be great if we could go do that at some top tier player that can score goals. But you also have to keep it realistic that the fact that he's 26 years old, he's one of the top arguably two way centers in hockey because of what he can bring defensively. And he's also decent in the faceoff dot. He's in, definitely improved there throughout the season. He started rough on that one because of his hand issues and now he's back up to 54% for the year. So I don't know. I can, I can rant. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll pass the torch back. So what's your take on it? What, what are you giving Dylan Larkin realistically? If you had asked me like at the start of the year, I think the early comparison that people were bringing up was Barzal. Is that correct? Yeah. And his 9.1 or whatever that is in the Island. And I kind of felt like, Larkin would have been appropriately placed in that position. But of course, you know, things change. Seasons evolve as there are more storylines. And as you guys said, the Red Wings have not been, air quotes, as good as they probably were expected to be. And a guy like Larkin being on the front end of that definitely is not getting any help in those contract negotiations because of it. But with this Bo Horvat deal, I kind of feel like At this point, it would sort of have to be a courtesy to give the guy at the very least 8.5. Like, I've always evaluated Larkin as a better just overall player than Horvat. So seeing Bo get that amount of money for the admittedly crazy 50-goal year he's gotten, like, 
Bo, up until this past season, was never really in that territory at all, monetary-wise. Like, Canucks fans said, hey, if you got this guy for, like, seven million, that'd be a little bit much already. So, seeing Larkin just kind of get closer to that ballpark in that 8.5 range, it's kind of, it kind of sketches me out if Eiserman is able to get this done in some sort of an 8.5 or an 8.25 territory. Like, wow, Larkin would be taking a really big cut if that had been the case. And I get it. Hometown guy, grew up in Michigan, played for Michigan University, Red Wings guy through and through. Like, there is a hometown discount element that can be applied here. It's just, you know, subjective opinion says, hey, if he gets an extra $500,000 over the next eight years, that's $4 million in the bank by the time this is over. So it's a lot of money. And I'm not too sure where it's going to go from there. My guess is as good as yours. Yeah, and and even what Lou said is is he made the same thing, the same comment. And I'm guessing there there had been news that Bo Horvat's camp was not allowed to talk to anyone else about an extension before a trade. Mm-hmm. And Lou made the comment of because when they were asked about the contract, he said it's too long and it's too much money. But that makes me think that Lou knew that there were other offers out there for more money from other teams on an extension, and that if he didn't sign that contract, then Bo was leaving in the off season. So, like you said, it sets the market and lose a guy who's not going to make the deal unless the deal absolutely needs to be made. And he gave up a lot of assets to acquire uh, Bo Horvat and to lock him up. That's what he needed to spend. And like Elliot said, Elliot Friedman says that they dictate the market based on contracts that are currently signed. My guess from the beginning of the season was 9.15 for Larkin because that's what Barzal got. Dylan Larkin's been better than Matt Barzal for the past three seasons. So if if I'm going off of that now, now the Horvat deal is somewhat recency bias because of how good he is this season. But if you were to look at just the overall production of a Barzal and the overall production of a Dylan Larkin and how Dylan Larkin is better defensively than Barzal, I thought he could have got to that 915. And if he was asking nine, I feel that's fair. But if they like I said, if they can meet at 875, I mean, that's a deal for both teams. I'd make that deal right now. The recency bias point, I think, is important to focus on here. And one that has low key drive me crazy because you look at some people, they're like, he's not worth more than Sidney Crosby, who's making a cap hit of eight point seven million. But when he signed that deal, it was at fourteen and a half percent of the cap. Yeah, if Sidney Crosby was twenty six or whatever right now at that same production level and signed that deal with today's cap, that's like a thirteen million dollar deal. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Crosby signed. It was a 12 year deal. For 8.7 a year AAV. So you that's where you have to look at and everything signed really in the last two seasons is your immediate comparable. And I, at, even like when you go to arbitration for these guys, that's what they're looking at is what was just signed recently. Here's what I think you're worth where they're like Bert, for instance, looking at recent contracts there for when he's been in arbitration the last couple of years. So that's where Horvat, Barzal, those are your primary sources, if you will, to look at. Yes, they're both on the Islanders, but that's just Luby and Lou at this point. So to try to make the comparisons of anything outside, I'd say three years max is kind of lazy and also just frustrating to me. But another player that you could do a comparison to in, in the same kind of boat where I think Dylan Larkin is a better player is Rupe Hints. Rupe Hints got an eight year, eight point five million dollar deal back in November. So there's your other eight by eight point five in Rupe Hints, your eight by eight point five in a uh, Bo Horvat, and Larkin is better defensively than both those 
players, and he grades out better on EV offense war uh, than both those players. So, I mean, for reference, if you look at, so I'm looking at cap friendly right now, cap hits of just centerman. Your tops, Connor McDavid, 12-5. McKinnon's going up to 12-5 too. Okay, mm-hmm. so that won't show here. Okay, yeah. So Larkin would then fall under, and I don't have if they've got extensions already put in here. With McKinnon, Larkin would be the 12th highest paid center in the league. Which is, that's about where he's at, right? That's absolutely fair, to my in my opinion, because we've talked about ad nauseum, and I think I've used that word like the last three times talking about Larkin and his situation. When he's on his game, he can be a top 20, top 15, potentially borderline top 10 center in hockey. This contract would justify that 10 to 15 range for the next several years. And I don't think that you can really argue about that, especially if it's coming in at nine mil with a raising cap. You're that doesn't hurt you at all. You want a past five year example? Tyler Sagan signed his contract in 2019 20 with an AAV of $9.85 million. What has Tyler Sagan done recently? Hurt my fantasy team. (laughs) Exactly. So, I mean, the same, you look at Tyler Sagan and 9.85. You look at Jamie Benn and 9.5 million. Larkin's not asking for that. Those guys are 31 and 33 years old. So I I think you can safely give Larkin the 8.75. There's going to be the vocal minority that are very loud that will tell you that it's the worst deal ever. I've had people tell me recently that Larkin's not worth more than $7 million. I've had people tell me that Larkin should get a five by five and a half and just take it because he's not that good. It's just, it, it's the people that know the least that are generally the loudest or they have the worst opinions and they're the loudest and they'll be upset and they'll be loudly upset online. But I think the majority of the fan base, they want to see it done. They don't care if it's between eight and $9 million. And you'll be happy that in in maybe three or four seasons that that contract probably looks really good, depending on what's going to get signed. Now, there's always the chance that people are talking maybe Larkin, maybe in three years, then he starts declining. But his game is that of one that I don't think will hit a wall and then fall off. To me, if Larkin has the same kind of decline rate as a Patrice Bergeron, because Bergeron's the best defensive center in the entire league. And he's good offensively and he's literally one of the best centers, but they they don't they both don't play overly physical games. So that's that's kind of what my maybe comparable for Larkin's potential fall off rate would be. I mean, it still helps that the general manager of this team was one of the top two way centermen of his time and arguably of all time. And Steve Eisenman, who. You know that Larkin is becoming close to, or he is admitted as such, and how much they have had conversations, particularly in the offseason. So as he gets older, who better than going to for a guy that dealt with injuries the final, actually most of his career, and Steve Eiserman and fought through those, and then with the emergence of Scotty Bowman and this team, helped him become one of the best defensive centermen in hockey. And he's already said he's had those conversations with Larkin. That's one of the yep. first things Steve Eiserman told Larkin to do when he came in was play better defensively. And when you play better defensively, the offense will come. And again, Elliot Freeman says that the, the, the defensive aspect of Dylan Larkin can win this team games. I think you guys covered it pretty well, honestly. I mean, I wanted to add one more thing about the, um, the comparisons you guys were talking about, too. Just bringing up other dollar amounts. I really do like that point that you made, Greg, talking about how it pretty much should only default to recent contracts in the past few years because 
that Sidney Crosby 8.7 AAV, for example, that's that's so on market with his branding in particular that you can't compare that to any like percentage of the cap in the past few years, of course. But 87, August 7, 1987, 8.7 million, like that's the Crosby thing that you can't apply that to anybody else. For example, Leon Dreisaitl, 8.5. Like that was signed so long ago in a time when Dreisaitl was not one of the best like passers in the world that... Oh, Larkin getting 8.5. Look at Drysaddle. He's getting 8.52. Is Larkin as good as Drysaddle? No, that's not the same conversation. So I think I definitely do agree with that point that really contracts in the past two, maybe two and a bit years, like really are the ones that you should be comparing it to, not anything before that. Yeah, Adam Beduna on uh, Woodward Sports brought that up today. He's named off a whole bunch of people that are in the same like price range that Larkin's asking for. He's like, would you pay him more than these people he named Sidney Crosby? I'm like, dude, that contract is so old. There is no way you can. They literally, he was drafted and instantly made the face of the NHL. He was going to get that contract and that money no matter what. And back then, that was a ton of money. And right now the cap has gone up so much that it's like like today, if he got that contract at the same time or at the same age range with the same face value and everything that that's like a 13, 14, 15 million dollar contract. Easy. So it's it's they're not comparable. So recency, push your recency bias aside, push your apparently people over 50 hate Dylan Larkin. And that's generalizing a little bit, but it's been a running theme. And it's just that's what it's been recently. And they call him a baby and say he's not that good. And they only point to goals and assists. And they say all the other stats don't mean anything. And it's 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 going to keep going until he's signed. And then hopefully everyone stops. And I know they won't. But that is my hope. <laughs> no, they won't. They won't because he'll go on like a two or three game pointless streak. And they'll be like, oh, he's not worth shit. It won't be fun. NBA fans, it's time to bring the hoops action to the palm of your hand with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet $5 and win $200 in free bets instantly. Plus, for a limited time, all new and existing customers can get a no-sweat same-game parlay every day. Go to DraftKings Sportsbook app today, opt-in, and place a same-game parlay on any NBA team, and if it doesn't hit, you'll get a free bet back. Download the app now and sign up with code THPN. New customers can bet $5 on the NBA and get $200 in free bets instantly. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA with code THPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. Void in Ohio. See show notes for details. This time of year, everyone's talking about making big changes, which is well and good, but most of the time, pretty unrealistic. I've actually found the smallest changes to your routine can make the biggest impact. In the same way, you don't have to break the bank to make a big deal purchase. Even the smallest things can be part of a big change if something you use every day, like my Raycons. Raycon is a premium audio at the perfect price point, so you can build great habits without breaking the bank. Whether you're looking for a pair of everyday earbuds, low-latency gaming headphones, or a speaker with a battery that will last all night into your next party, Raycon's got you covered. And yep, Raycon's start at half the price of other premium audio brands, so you don't even have to choose between products. You can get one of each or a pair and a spare and still pay less than what you would with some other guys. That way you can keep one pair in your bag, one pair in your bedroom, one pair in your car, and you're still paying less than other premium brands on the market. Even if you know you love your Raycons as much as I do, Raycon wants to make sure you feel great about your purchase. They offer buy now, pay later options, and every purchase has an easy and free return guarantee. Your Raycons have three customizable sound profiles for when you're watching movies, listening to music, or playing games. 
They get a long eight hours of playtime for the everyday earbuds and 11 for the everyday speaker. And they are water and sweat resistant for those Michigan winters where you have to be out shoveling or snow blowing the driveway. So if you're ready to buy something small with a big impact, go to buyraycon.com slash THPN today and get 15% off your Raycon order. That's buyraycon.com slash THPN to score 15% off buyraycon.com slash THPN. Uh, but our next topic of the night, and it was going to be, I mean, I guess we can get to Philip Zadina really quick. Philip Zadina was recalled uh, from the Grand Rapids Griffins and he will not be playing tomorrow. I guess that is the news from Newsy. And I don't buy Newsy's quote. He said that uh, he will likely not start tomorrow because Lalone does not want to mess with the chemistry of a team. You know, that chemistry that got shut out by the Islanders and has had 11 days off that chemistry. So I, I guess it's they called him up like Ryan, to your point, you asked on the discord earlier, they could have left him. He was only like four or five days into his conditioning stint. He's got two weeks. So they could have left him down, but Grand well, Rapids doesn't play until the 10th. Yeah, sorry. That's what I was going to say. They're yeah. on All-Star break as well right now, because I think that was actually on NHL Network was the HL All-Star game. Yep. So he's up. He's with the team. He scored a point or he scored a goal when he was in Grand Rapids the other night. And uh, he's he's not going to play. But uh, what are your thoughts on Philip Zadina and kind of what he's done so far or lack of done so far? Yeah. So I think I speak for everyone when I say it's. Firstly, it's disappointing, of course, but secondly, I feel like I've I've been one of the more patient play, or players, people with Zadina over the past few years, mostly because I remember seeing so much of him in his draft year. I did a lot of like work just looking at 2018 guys back in that time frame because that's really when I started to get into the whole like hockey prospects thing. So looking at Zadina, looking at Svechnikov, Darlene, of course, and Zadina always striked me as that perimeter sniper who could just walk in and find the back of the net pinpoint accurate shot and he showed that off at the world juniors there was always so much potential into the future of what Zadina could do that just seeing the developments he's taken elsewhere like okay comes to Detroit plays a little bit with the main squad goes over to Grand Rapids gets a few more years working on his defensive game as well but that offense never really comes out that's ultimately like the most disappointing part about it, that his offense has taken so long to translate from lower levels of play into the main NHL. But with all of the expectations, we talked about this with Brock Besser just a few minutes ago, but expectations, you know, oh, Zadina, 40 goal score, 40 goal score out of the draft, whatever, whatever. Not seeing that today is uh, quite disappointing, of course, but at the same time, he's a better player now than he was when he made his debut with the team all those years ago. And at this point, it's just a matter of how patient can you be in keeping somebody like that around, giving him maybe no time at all. You're scratching him, bottom six minutes, send him to Grand Rapids, play top line, who really knows? But uh, yeah, one thing's for sure. I'm not, I'm happy I'm not the guy who's in control of that development right now because I really wouldn't know what to do at this point. And here is your Philip Zadina episode reminder that he is 23 years old. 23 he recently signed a three-year 1.825 million dollar uh per year contract and again 23 years old and this is this would have been i believe his first or was it last season his first full nhl season not bouncing between grand rapids and detroit and no pandemic and no pandemic weird pandemic year and no jeff blashell not giving him consistent line uh time and consistent 
uh, a way to build chemistry or anything. So Mm -hmm. it's and it it does suck. I mean, when Zadina flies down the ice because he has great possession numbers, he can get the puck, he can retrieve it, he can control it, and then he can shoot it directly into the logo on the middle of the goalie's chest. And what it has to be is Zadina learning how to pick corners. He can't he can't do the OV office. He's tried standing in one spot and in shooting and it doesn't work. He needs to be able to find that open ice. And that's the one thing that he's kind of struggled with. He has no problem protecting the puck. He has no problem controlling the puck or driving the play. It's getting open and shooting because his shots fast and he can it can be placed well. But it seems like every time he grips too hard, he slightly panics and he shoots it right at the goalie. And it's yeah, not helping him. There's no time, it seems, it set himself up, which I know it's NHL. The thing you always hear is that there's very little time to get things accomplished. But he's, I feel like sometimes, more often than not, he's eliminating that on himself rather than a defensive player's eliminating that on him. And you look at 1920 and 21, 2021 seasons, combined he had 77 games for 34 points. 21-22, he had 24 points for 74 games. And then going into this season, hasn't even recorded a point in nine games and started the season as a healthy scratch. So it's try at this point. I know he's 23, but for a guy that came into the league saying, I'm here to put pucks in net and make everyone regret that didn't draft me, like feel my wrath at this point. If he would have just shut his mouth, right, Ryan? <laughs> Basically, if he had not have had those things not been said that he was going to go to Montreal and just eat him up with goals, we'd probably be having a little bit of a different conversation. We'd probably be a bit upset that for being a number six overall pick, that he's not really producing at a level you would expect, especially for Joe, as you mentioned, his he was a scoring dy- dynamic beast, more or less. Mm-hmm. And now we hear that he's recalled on his conditioning stint, but he's not going to be in the roster. I don't know if that's because, I mean, I know, Greg, you mentioned the team dynamic, but chemistry. I'm going right? to go ahead and call bullshit because they had the exact same roster to start the season minus Verona, and he wasn't playing then either. So is it the team dynamic and chemistry? Or is it that he's just not he's good enough, but not good enough, meaning he was better than Ernie, who got waived for his presence to be able to come back? Or is it because there is still something that they see in him being 23 years old? There is offensive potential. We've seen how much more his defensive play has increased over the last two seasons, in particular since Iserman came back, I should say. So is it just putting it all together? I don't know. But the guy has to start putting up points. That's what he's there for because it do- what he does defensively doesn't make up enough for what he is not doing offensively. Now, to clarify the timeline here, because this was all real confusing, when the All-Star break started, Berggren was waived to go to Grand Rapids. Paper transaction, he went on vacation. Sent down, not waived. Let's put that one out Yeah, there. well, he's waiver exempt, so he was sent to the AHL. Then uh, Philip Zadina was put on his conditioning stint. So he was still on the roster at that time. So Berggren was waived, uh, waived or sent down so that Zadina could be uh, taken off of IR and put on his conditioning stint. Adam Ernie was then waived so that Berggren could come back because Zadina was already on the roster. 
So that was that was kind of like the timeline of events that everyone was confused by online. So that's what had to happen because this whole time Zadina's been on the roster. He was on the roster as soon as Beargrin was assigned to Grand Rapids so that he could come off of IR. True. And when you are put on conditioning, you're still on the roster. So he was able to do his conditioning. And then for Beargrin to come back, we needed a roster spot. So Adam Ernie was waived and then today was assigned to the Grand Rapids Griffins. So that is the timeline in a nutshell. Uh, the other player, though, that has not been brought back, and there has been some disheartening news that has come out recently, is Jacob Verana. So in the past seven games in Grand Rapids, Verana has eight points. He had a two-goal game the other night. He looks like he's getting it all together. The head is matching the hands. He's skating. He's scoring goals. He's having fun. The big thing, I think, is his reaction to scoring has been phenomenal. He scores a goal. He's super happy and over the top. It's not like he scored it and it's whatever. Mm-hmm. he's happy to do it. He's in that headspace where hockey is fun, which is where you want him to be. But first reported by Nick Alberga, who is a uh, podcast host for Leafs podcast and SB Nation podcast. For those waiting on Jacob Verona recall, don't hold your breath. Well, anything's possible. He's hearing it is highly unlikely, uh, highly likely that he's played his final game with Detroit. Likeliest scenarios are trade or offseason buyout. And then Dave Pagnota uh, at fourth period on Twitter quote tweeted it and said, Nick's info here on Verona echoes what I've been told about the situation. Very unlikely Verona rejoins the big club this year and the wings are intent on moving him one way or another this offseason. He has one year left at five point two five million dollars. I would not be happy with a buyout. I mean, it doesn't make sense to buy it out and then extend it by another year at half the cap hit to me. If you can find, I don't think they would have any problem finding a trade partner because it looks like he's getting his game back. But I just, I want to know, and I'm never going to know, but I want to know where the disconnect is because your team lacks offense. And this is a guy who was one of the best 5v5 offensive players behind Austin Matthews, like literally the second since 2020-21. And now he seems to have gotten his head on unless he hasn't. But he seems to be scoring more and, and getting back to his offensive form. But they're not they're not bringing him back. And I, I ran a poll and overwhelmingly people think he's going to be brought back. But then stuff like this comes out and, and it seems like it seems like he's not. So, Gio, what's your take on Jacob Verana? Man, when it comes to Verana, I ever since watching him in Washington, he was always a as we all kind of know. Goal score. He could put it in the back of the net and he was good at it. His 5v5 play was underrated to the point where, as you said, one of the um, best players in the league just behind Matthews. And realistically, I mean, when it comes to him and his path for this season, players assistance program, getting brought back, getting waived, clearing, spending some time in Grand Rapids and now having this be the sort of story coming out of Panyota and um, all those other sources it's really difficult to try to talk about it, in my opinion, just because there's so much that I feel that's going on behind the scenes that we don't know about, because realistically, there is no rational reason for this to be the case, right? Like, from the perspective of somebody who's just reading a newspaper or whatever, oh, he's a good goal scorer, he's getting his head back on, he's scoring, he looks like he's having fun doing it, and the Red Wings could probably use somebody like that, add it onto their team, especially, I mean, he's got that cap hit, why not make use of it? So 
there's got to be something else that we don't know about that in which I don't want to potentially speculate whether or not that's like Iserman an internal thing, how they view Verona or how Verona views the team itself. There was that rumor the other day about how he might potentially go back to Sweden in the next little while, how he's got like, I think, nine days to decide that or whatever. And so this situation is so bizarre that it's really tough for me to talk about, honestly. Like, we can't really do anything aside from just looking at what's happening in front of our eyes and just hoping that it all ends well. Like, I want to see him on the Red Wings again, but if it's not going to happen, I mean, there's probably an explanation why that we're not going to learn about for a while, in my opinion. Does that make sense, do you think? No, it, it does make sense. And it's it's interesting, though, that a lot of these comments have come out after the Swedish tabloid newspaper report saying yeah. that he could end up going to Sweden. And now you've got a couple talking heads saying that he's never going to play in Detroit again. So it's and I, I shouldn't say talking heads. That's kind of not probably appropriate for who is actually mentioning because it's guys that are well connected within hockey at a much higher level than we are. And Pagnota is being one of the most big insiders that you can talk about. So, but it is frustrating because they say from what I'm hearing in my sources, when it's days removed, if that from the Swedish report. So like, is it, that's what they're hearing and going off of because we know nothing's getting out of Detroit. Yeah. So for those that didn't see the Swedish report, Expressen, which is a Swedish tabloid, basically, it's like for Lars. Yeah. The Observer or whatever. The Enquirer in, in the U.S. It's just a tabloid magazine that has a sports section. And per Lars, he said that basically you take it with a dump truck of salt, anything that 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 magazine reports. And it was a small little article and I did a translation on it. And it was basically that uh, they have talked about he's they've talked about him going home. It's the same situation that Alexander Texier. What happened to him? He did the same kind of thing. They did what was called a leave of absence where his number didn't count towards the cap, though he's still under contract with Columbus. And he's playing, I believe, over in the Swiss League right now uh, as kind of like a, a reconditioning thing. But it says that Vrana, who has history in Linkumping, uh, Sweden, that may have expressed interest in going back and playing there. Sweden's apparently like a second home to him. It's where he spends his offseason training. Uh, but they've shown interest in picking him up. Uh, but Verona has until the they've got until February 15th to make a decision if he can go back there or not. So it like you said, it's disheartening because is that for rules here or rules there? Uh, I think that's rule uh, that I don't know. I think it might be both because the NHL and SHL have an agreement. So maybe in the NHL uh, okay. SHL transfer agreement. But uh, I'd, I'd have to look that up. But it's it's disheartening to say the least, because you're right. He's an offensive game breaker. That's what Verona is. When he is at his top, he scores goals at will. And that's what you need on a team like this who is struggling to score on a lot of nights. Now, Raymond's heating back up and Dylan Larkin can generally be counted for he had a 30 goal season and, and he can score. I mean, we saw it at the all star game for whatever it's worth, but it's. It sucks because you see that either he tried to get help himself or the Red Wings put him in the assistance program, one of the two, because the original wording was weird. It said that Verona was placed in the player's assistance program, not entered the player's assistance program. Mm -hmm. So it could have been the Red Wings that made him do it. 
But if there's bad blood there, it really sucks because he's a dude with a ton of promise and getting out of Washington really seemed to light a fire under him and just kick him up to that next level. But then then he falls back a little bit and now he seems to be getting it together and then they still aren't calling him up. And then these rumors come out. It, it, It just sucks because it's what the Red Wings need and they have it without having to give up anything for it. And that's the thing. They need something like him. In order to get another Verona, you're going to have to give up assets and it's going to suck. Speaking of which, I do find it. I don't know if it's like if funny is the right word to use, but it's fine. It's kind of coincidental, I think, just seeing how at this same time, like just a few weeks ago, we saw um, out of the Washington Capitals, Anthony Manta getting scratched as well. So the return... Yeah, right. It's very like the timeline of that matching up with this Verona situation. Very ironic indeed. But I don't know if that's some sort of like maybe antidote to thinking about this. Oh, at the very least, the guy that we traded away for Verona is like also having his own struggles as well. But of course, you know, that's inhumane way of looking at it. But I don't know, man. At the end of the day, Verona is indeed one of the guys that I was really high on heading into this year in particular. So just seeing this. And that's the right word to use. Disheartening, for sure. And at the end of the day, we got Sebastian Kosa as well. That's the other thing that we also got in that trade. Ryan, Which you look people confused. are still bitching about that. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm not going to touch Kosa right now. Guys, <laughs> leave leave the very young developing goalie alone. Goalies take forever to develop. And it's so hard going from one You're league not allowed to, say to that, another. Greg. It has to be right meow. It's so hard going from juniors to the echl where goalies are basically fired oh, upon at will and yeah well Jesper wallstead struggled the beginning of the year uh for the iowa wild and it'll be really interesting to see what happens in the end but i think that between the two and then the articles come out that apparently wallstead interviewed with the red wings yeah. 10 times 10 times yeah, and they still went with cosa which credit, that's credit to cosa because yeah. he must have had a hell of an interview so well, that's I don't I think that can go without saying, really. You just yeah. see the interviews with him and he's the confidence there. Or cockiness, I guess it depends on how you want to look at it is impressive. Yeah, Iserman went athletic over technical. And I think that Kosa has a higher ceiling than Wallstead has. But Wallstead has a higher floor than Kosa. That's kind of the, the, the way that I look at it. And I am not going to judge either of these goalies until they start playing NHL games because Fair. we've seen lights out AHL goalies who suck at the NHL level. And we've seen goalies that do not perform at the AHL level that are amazing NHL goalies. And if people try to tell me again that no good goalies ever play in the ECHL, I will read you the freaking list that I put on parchment paper. You can roll it out into this giant comically long roll of NHL goalies who have played in the ECHL. And it's just, I mean, Jonathan Quick. Jonathan Quick started in the ECHL and look at the career that he's had. So One I'm not going to judge best USA hockey goalies of all time. I am not going to judge kids that are in that are in their first pro or semi pro season out of juniors. And, and Wallstead, I think, had a head start because he played overseas. So he's faced that tougher competition before. So I'm going to give Kosa a break. But we're going to talk about the all star. Hey, Stuart Skinner was in the ECHL, too, for recency bias. See? There you go. What did Logan Thompson play in the ECHL? I don't know. I tur- that was the first pr- person that popped up on when I did a quick search was Stuart Skinner. 
Yeah, I had a whole huge list. There's a ton of NHL starting goalies that had very long career. Tim Thomas played in the ECHL. So I'm not I'm not talking about goalies, not until they reach the NHL level or do something phenomenally amazing. Yeah, just fact checking here. Thompson did play. Yeah. See, Logan Larson is a Red Wings guy, but Uh, the all star game. And I'm sorry, I'm going to probably put everyone to sleep. That was the world's most boring thing I've ever seen in my life. The skills I have an comp. issue with the games. The skills comp. The, st- the skills stuff, almost oh. all. Yeah. So, so the production value of the broadcast was terrible. They were like dogs with ADD. You, the, one thing to the next thing and nothing made sense. They brought them outside to do golf because that's what I want at my all-stars competition. or My skills comp is golf. Um, it was just, it was very disjointed. The people who played the best in the skills comp were the women. They were phenomenal. Did you see, uh, Sarah nurse do the Forsberg? Yeah, that was pretty amazing. The Uh, the female players had the best opportunities and because for one, it looked like they actually gave a shit. The fact they cared, Hey, I'm Mm -hmm. a top, top top tier player in the world. I'm going to show that I can do that while the guys are just like, it was, and they made the goalies look stupid, and it was fantastic. It was not fun to watch. And, and I think I've, we've done an episode a season where I just go, guys, I have so many ideas for the All-Star game and the weekend. Move it to the summer. Move it closer to the draft. Grab the top draft uh, targets and get them in like a Young Guns versus NHL All-Stars game. Get them in the skills competition. Get the kids involved, because that's what you're trying to do in a league that's apparently viewership is 22% down. You want to bring in young people, do fun stuff. Don't take a week off of hockey to force the all-star game. Do it in the offseason in the summer toward the draft. So I I just I'm watching it and I watched Fastest Skater because my daughter wanted to watch Dylan Larkin go around the rink because she loves him. And then I started watching the next segment. And I'm like, I can't do this. And I turned it off. So, I mean, my idea, I'm like, don't even do hockey stuff. Split them into two teams and play family feud with them and let the people that buy tickets give the answers. Do something fun because what they did is not it. Yeah, I mean, I was only really particularly paying attention for the Pedersen hardest shot thing. And because, you know, Bo Horvat's not really Canuck anymore. Can't really pledge my allegiance to him. But did, did you boo when he came on the screen? No, I didn't. I saw the the pictures of him and Petey like taking photos. It was like it was kind of. Very, very strange, I will add. But this all-star skills competition was indeed like they're just trying to make the format more convoluted as the years go on. And it was interesting how this year you had even more cutaways. I know last year they did like the Vegas like fountain shot thing and everybody after like five minutes realized, oh, this is pre-recorded. These guys were like in the arena in their jerseys and gear like just five minutes ago. They're showing us a pre-recorded video and now they did it twice. Like that dunk tank thing was kind of cool, but at the same time, I mean, as a viewership experience for the NHL All Star Skills Competition, I mean, that was off. I think the breakaway or the the goalie tandem thing was kind of strange. Seeing them try it, to shoot it was it over slow. and over, it was so yeah. slow. That could have been fun, and it wasn't, and I hated mm-hmm. it. Had a lot of potential to like do something crazy and weird and wacky with the goalies, but. Instead, it was just clunky because they kept them going back and forth and you were kind of confused because you didn't know what was going on. And then you're like, wait, Sorokin's shooting it into the thing now? Like, I don't know. Viewership experience, not really there. 
in my opinion. But uh, yeah, I mean, the game, at least we saw some Dylan Larkin dominance. So that was fun. But uh, I don't know. Do you guys have any more thoughts on the skills competition? No, it's I think, Greg, you mentioned it, that the production quality sucked. Like I know they were doing they were trying to do a skit uh with Bucci, like they were pre-recorded on the green, but they were picking up on ice audio instead, and all of a sudden you just hear somebody yelled shit out of nowhere. So you're like, oh, that wasn't supposed to happen. And then all of a sudden it just cut off and they went to the ice and then they brought that back up and had the audio fixed again. But it's kind of been wash, rinse, repeat for some of the coverage this year in terms of they're not getting like the A team or the B team when it comes to making sure that this is going to be an okay hit type deal. And it's didn't help that there was just a lot of, uh, at times, a lack of emotion, it seemed like, from a lot of the players. And I'm not trying to blame them for anything. No, for that, no, no. But uh, most hockey players are very boring, Ryan. Yeah, they are. Mm-hmm. Like, you're not seeing the excitement. Like, the NFL Pro Bowl skills competition, that was a great time. They had a lot of fun there. It was intense. I thought that was really well done. Watching St. Brown out there doing the the best catch competition was fantastic. You had random celebrity judges. They tried doing some of that stuff. It seemed like with the NHL piece, but it was just disjointed. It didn't help either that I think I think to me that it was in Florida, specifically with the Florida Panthers being the, the host, because you look at their games and half the time it's not that great and throughout this and the game itself there there was a lot of empty seats again which blows my mind in a way but that's probably why they're bringing it back to toronto in two years i don't have any suggestions i don't know what you could possibly do to make it better maybe it's maybe you bring in more fan interaction maybe you do a joint ahl nhl type thing maybe you do the Women's hockey all stars with the NHL all stars. You bring everybody in together just to try to you it, blow up the the viewership. I don't know. It, whatever this was, whoever was behind it, they need to be sacked. And then the person that hired them also sacked Gary Bettman, and he hired himself. Fire oh. him immediately. But he just got a lifetime achievement award because he's like one of the best commissioners in pro sports, right? And he's just on the cover of Hockey News again, too. No, oh, Lord. I like. OK, so the goalie thing, that segment, like you're right, could have been fun. But no, they like, oh, just take this puck and bounce it off the board to, to the goalie. I'm like, what are they even doing? Have the goalies do breakaways in their full gear. The best have one was breakaway. He actually fired a slap shot around the boards. And I think it was Olmar couldn't handle it. It's in the cutaways to your right there. They did an interview with. So P.K. Subban is great. You should get P.K. Subban to do every single speaking role and interview and everything He should have possible. been all over the place at every moment. Because Pat Maroon was like a Oh, corpse. good Lord. Why was he even there? <laughs> I think yeah. it's... It, P.K. Subban has some of the best charisma out of all pro sports players in, in every league. He's just one of the most charismatic people. And he was doing this interview... He was like asking McKinnon and McDavid what they want their nicknames to be. And ever so humble, McDavid picked McJesus because, you know, it's a humble. And so they <laughs> they show enough. that they show that and then they cut to the ice and McDavid's sitting there on the bench. You're like, wait a second. Why did they? they so they pre-recorded all of this stuff. And because they pre-recorded it, it was just so sloppily put together that it just it made no sense. So I feel See, like this is where TNT, I think, is a level above ESPN, which is incredible to me. But you look at TNT and what they've been able to do with the NBA, 
and they've more or less just changed the people out but kept the same premise and their broadcasts are fantastic so all-star games maybe they should just combine all the broadcast teams because if you had like a biz i know you hate them or love them there really is no in between but you put biz entertaining out there on the ice that's that's some freaking tv right there put biz in a mullet and have him do karaoke everyone will love it fantastic Put him in PK in a mullet and have him out there dancing around, talking, asking questions. That would actually, for one, be funny. Two, they know how these guys are, so they know how they're going to poke them the right way to get some shit out of them and actually get some funny emotion. And three, well, it's anything but what they just did. So Exactly. I, I'll watch the colored bars when there's nothing on air uh, rather than watch that all-star skills comp. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> so I And the other thing, too, you know who else does a really good production? If you've ever watched a football game on Nickelodeon, they are one of the most entertaining things I have ever seen. And they shouldn't be. They should not be entertaining to me, but they are funny. Put the All-Stars competition on Nickelodeon. Let them get slimed. Do a bunch of crazy. Do do like a, a family double dare style competition with the players where they've got to like climb through ball pits and pick noses and stuff. Yeah, with their gear on. You can do so much more fun stuff. They could do like American Gladiators with these players or they could do like remember Guts, the Nickelodeon show Guts, where they had to do like competitions and climb rocks and stuff. Like you don't have to have them do the crag, the aggro crag. Yeah, crag. You don't have to have them do boring hockey stuff that they do literally every year. Like you said, football. Amon Ross St. Brown was taking passes, jumping off trampolines. That from was Mike fan- Vick. That was from Mike Vick. Yeah, that was fantastic. Put Wayne Gretzky out there and let him do some stuff. I mean, make it make it fun because, like I said, that wasn't it. And I, I think we all share the same sentiment because Twitter Twitter was on fire with terrible all-star game stuff. And it was everyone who was there seemed like they had a really good time because when you're there, it's like a party and you're in Florida and you're not in Michigan and it's not 14 degrees, but, (laughs) but you're, you're there and you're and like Sarah Sivian just tweeted at us. I posted that Dylan Larkin, uh, he did an interview with channel seven where he was asked about his contract and right before they cut, he said, shooting the shit and it made it onto the broadcast and it was hilarious. And Siv quote tweets it and she goes, I guess I didn't know he was like cool and funny before covering the All-Star weekend. But he earned my respect after this weekend because they get to see the actual players do their stuff. And Larkin says Pasta is one of the funniest guys he's ever been around. He says everything that comes out of David Pasternak's mouth is a joke. So they need to show more of that. Stop showing the boring stuff and just show the guys messing around. Well, Well, the worst part is, is I think that almost all the players had mics on over the weekend. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of them but did. During as things were going on, they were hardly engaged with them. Yeah, they didn't use it often. I mean, Bo Horvat had a mic the whole game. They only used one line of him talking to Petey at the beginning, and that was it. Yeah, like you look at the MLB All Star game. They've got their mid pitch talking to an outfielder, a guy that's getting ready to hit, and asking him, "What pitch do you think is coming?" And he says it, and all of a sudden he's he's hitting. They they obviously get quiet while the pitch is going on. But like stuff like that, while things are happening, you can be talking to the goalie. Now, would the goalie talk? I don't know. But it seems like they don't actually plan anything or do a production meeting until like three days before the event happens. It feels so rushed and just sloppy that I don't know. I don't I don't know how they bring it back. But anything that is better than what they just did will will actually redeem it. Does that rotate like the playoffs do? What do you mean? Will TNT have the All-Star game next year or is it going to stick with ESPN? 
Um, I don't know, but if ESPN's numbers were terrible, I think they could probably move it and they should be terrible. So Ryan, you can check that, but I think that's where we're going to end tonight. And Tyler didn't show up because he texted me and said he was still in traffic. So whatever. Bye Tyler. Uh, Gio, I'm going to let you plug whatever you're going to plug. Uh, we give you all the time to do that. Where can people follow you? What, what should people expect coming up? What do you got? Yeah, so I'm on Twitter at LR99Gaming, but most people know me as LegoRocks99. I make YouTube videos talking about hockey in a commentary format. I focus on the Canucks. They're my favorite team. I also talk about a lot of Canadians and Red Wings topics because they're my second and third favorite teams. And just whatever NHL news pops up, I make three videos a day. It's my full-time thing, and it's been a pretty good experience doing that. But that's pretty much it. YouTube, Twitter, that's all I got. But uh, I wanted to say thank you once again to the fine folks over on um, Grindline over here, Greg, Ryan, and of course, Tyler, whom I was not <laughs> able to meet today, unfortunately. Maybe Probably for time. the best. Probably for the best. Okay, yeah, I don't want to get crushed by those uh, big the biceps guns. of his. Uh, yeah. The gun show from Boston. <laughs> but yeah, no, this was a blast, guys. Really appreciate you having me on here for sure. Yeah, thank you for coming on. I mean, you're welcome on any time. We'll definitely have you back on again. And, and we're we're friends on YouTube now. We're trying to grow our YouTube platform and it's a lot of work. So we definitely respect you for how much work it takes to put into something like that because I've spent hours upon hours editing video uh, and your eyes hurt after a while staring at a screen. Uh, but Ryan, I want to get your final thoughts before we sign off. Final thoughts. We're in the second half. We've talked about it quite a bit. This is where things are going to start really mattering for Detroit. And I'm worried, but not worried. I mean, that to me, we're where we, I thought we would be. And that's potentially fighting for the wild card. So they really can't have a fall off like we saw from last season. If they can maintain some level of decency and also, you know, stay healthy, I think it'll help. But it's going to be tight butthole season for the next month as we get toward the uh trade deadline because who knows what's going to happen we might see some guys go we might see nobody go i, I don't think Eisenman can yeah, I doubt that. trade anybody but that's wishful thinking so we'll see i don't know other than that geo appreciate you coming on it was fantastic to change things up a little bit and have a nice fresh voice in here so thank you for giving us that tonight yeah for sure my pleasure guys as always my final thoughts are going to be just keep a, a lookout at our Twitter account because I'm I'm ready for Dylan Larkin contract extension to drop any minute. Now, the D line for whatever they're worth, because they pissed me off recently, too. Uh, but they had tweeted out about eight hours ago that the word is that Larkin has been finalized and is waiting to finish other deals to be announced. So I don't know what kind of information they have or where they got that from, but they tweeted it and they photoshopped a picture of Dylan Larkin skating around the ice with a bag of money. So we'll see what happens there. But you can follow me online at Bring the Wing. You can follow the Grindline Podcast online at Grindline Pod. Let me give a shout out to the Hockey Podcast Network at Hockey Podnet on Twitter for hosting us and spreading our podcast around. Uh, we also give a shout out to Vintage Detroit, which is the only place you should get your Detroit jerseys from and worked on. Uh, the Lynn over there is phenomenal. We'll be doing more work with them here pretty soon with T-shirts and other fun stuff. If you use the promo code Grindline at Howie's Hockey Tape, you will get 10% off your order. If you use that same promo code at Bring Hockey Back, you will get 12% off your order. And you can sub to us on YouTube 
If you just search Grindline Podcast, we will pop up. You can sub to us. You can hit that notification button. I do little five-minute videos every now and then when news drops. Uh, between podcasts, if anything fun happens, so you can stay up to date. And you can find our merch on redbubble.com by searching The Grindline. But that is going to do it for us tonight. Again, Gio, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, and you stay classy, Hockey Town.